Good to be with all of you uh, this morning here in the sanctuary and for all of you joining us online either live or later in the week. We're glad to share this time of worship together with you. I'm Craig Brown. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free. And today we're concluding the last sermon in this series called Vitality, Rest, Renew, Reset. And today we're going to focus our attention on how we find a little bit of balance between the work of work and the work of rest and trying to understand about how we can engage in a better life of rest when it comes to who we are as individuals. And this is not necessarily a sermon about Sabbath. This isn't about better ways to relax. Now, Sunday afternoon, I find as I get older, I have to go home and take a little nap after church is over. And so we put on NFL Red Zone, and I'm not exactly sure what happens on NFL Red Zone because I'm sleeping through most of it. But I usually wake up when something eventful sort of happens. I'm not necessarily talking about that kind of rest. The kind of rest I'm talking about is the choice we can each make to let go of certain things that we hold and allow God to hold them and instead be about the things that God has called us to be about, the work of work, work of rest. I want to turn our attention today to the prophet Micah. Now, the prophet Micah was a prophet at a pivotal time in Israel's history. Uh, hopefully, some of you listened to the podcast this week where we were able to talk about this a little bit more when it came to Micah, uh, the prophet. But he was a prophet at the very end of the existence of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, Israel had split into two nations after the death of King Solomon. And there was the ten northern tribes in a nation called Israel and the two southern tribes called Judah. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Well, during the 8th century, the Assyrian Empire was making a withdrawal from a battle they had fought against the Egyptians and the, uh, the Philistines. And on their way back, they said, well, why don't we just wipe out Israel while we're at it? And that's what they did, literally in retreat over about a 10 or 15 year period. They devastated the northern kingdom of Israel. Most of its inhabitants were scattered across the ancient world. And the southern kingdom of Judah shrank dramatically during that period of time. It became almost like a little city-state around the city of Jerusalem, no larger than King County today. A small little nation is all that was left after the Assyrians had besieged the surrounding area. So in that hopeless time, that hopeless moment, along comes Micah the prophet to give them a word of hope. And in Micah, the chapters in Micah alternate between the different oracles. Some of the oracles of Micah are, well, you need to fix this, y'all, versus there's a great hope for our future, on the other hand. And this is one of those chapters. Micah 4 is one of those chapters about this great hope for the future. And so let's talk about that hopeful future just for a moment. The way Micah describes it in Micah chapter 4 is in three different ways, very quickly. One of them is Micah chapter 4, verse 1. So let me read the text to you. It says, It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, it will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. I just want to call your attention to the last part of that verse. Peoples will stream to it. That word for stream is the Hebrew word for river. 
And so I hope you understand what is being described in Micah 4.1, is we normally think of a mountain that has rivers running away from it, right? And the reason why is because it's the law called gravity. Water moves away from a mountain. But in Micah chapter 4, verse 1, what is it telling us? It's going to move up the mountain. It's going to defy how we normally think a river would operate. And the peoples will stream to it. In other words, individuals will come to find this God that is so on the mountain. Now, for us today in 2023, we would suggest that that mountain is uh, somewhat of a metaphor. In other words, it is Jesus himself who is lifted up and that all people are being drawn to that very light of God in Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to take away from this is that who could cause a river to flow the opposite direction? God. Good answer, everyone. Good answer. Give yourselves a pat on the back. God is the one who does that, right? The work of persuading or the work of drawing people or the work of inviting people is whose work then? It's God's work then. And so the efforts that we go through in our lives to persuade people about matters of faith, persuade people about matters of politics, persuade people all the time, what we need to remember is that our fundamental work in the world as people of God isn't to persuade people. Micah chapter 4, 1 is telling us that it's God's work that makes rivers flow backwards. It's God's work of engaging and persuading people. We as Methodist people have a name for this thing. It's called the prevenient grace of God. It is the grace of God that's at work in every single person's life even before they have awareness of it. God's grace was at work in all of our lives before we even knew there was a God. God's grace was beckoning us, inviting us, and wooing us. And so isn't it interesting in the day in which we live, in which religion has become somewhat indifferent, there's new studies out just this week showing how many people consider themselves in the nun category of religion, that even in this day in which we think that the rise of the nuns, those who have no religious identification, that we live in the city of Seattle where there are more dogs than there are Christians. God is at work in every human life, in all of creation. Micah is helping us understand that there's this God moving and working in a way that we we can't even understand so much so it's like rivers flowing backwards. Micah's message of hope comes to a people who are devastated. And so we too, as we view our obstacles and the things that need to happen within our world, we believe God is at work. God is moving. Now let's go to verse 3. It says that God will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Probably has the Assyrians in mind here. Then they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up the sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. How many of you find that vision appealing? A world that you would want to be a part of. Well, that's the world God is bringing into being. And that ultimately what we know in faith is that God will bring that world into being. So as we sit in a moment in time in which we feel like that moment is 
quite far away. We need to remember that we serve a God that will bring that age into being and that it's our work in this time and in this moment to live into that age, to embrace a set of practices of that age where they don't make war anymore. It's interesting in the text that these are agrarian people, and since there was no standing army for any nation, for the most part, when they were called to action, they would take their farm implements they used, and they would turn them into weapons of war. And what Mike is telling them in verse 3 is to do the exact opposite. Take all of your weapons of war, and I want you to fashion them into farm implements, and to use them to plow your fields, and to grow crops, and to do all these things. This is a challenging vision for us, is it not? Because oftentimes what happens is the the way in which we live in the world and all of its cynicism creeps into us so that we begin to read texts like this in Micah and say that's impossible or that's a fantasy of some kind. What God is inviting us to understand is that this is an age which will come into being and that our work is to live into that age with a confidence and certainty that God is at work doing that very thing. Let's skip down to verse 4. It says, instead, each of them, in other words, people, will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid because the mouth of the Lord of armies has spoken. So part of the word we need to hear here is that God is inviting us into a time where we can go sit under our vines and our fig trees. Y'all have a lot of those? Well, imagine what those might be for you. Of course, these are metaphors used in the ancient world to describe a moment of kind of relaxation and centering. What is that for you? What does that look like for you? For some of you, it might be reading. For some of you, it might be gardening. God knows why. For some of you, that might be a whole variety of activities, all right, that you can undertake where you experience rest and renewal. Because why? With no one to make them afraid anymore. How, how much of the work we do every day is born out of fear? Fear of lacking something? FOMO? Fear of missing out? I mean, we, we have so many behaviors in our life that are fueled by the sense of fear that something's going to pass us by, that we're going to lose it, miss it, somehow not find it. And what this text is telling us is go sit under your fig tree and your vines Take a deep breath because there is a God at work in the world in ways we cannot comprehend or imagine and we need to experience some of that rest. What if we applied the same energy we have to the fear of missing out to our desire to know Jesus? What a remarkable shift that might be in our lives to take all that kind of anxious energy and to find find ways to rest in God So these three quick truths about a hopeful future lead us to a graceful life. You know, it's the recognition that God brings all these things into being. All the things that we've talked about, these three things from this text, not one of us brings these things into being. God is the one who brings these things into being. And so what it does is it helps us lean into a graceful life because God is the one doing all this. And this is not far off stuff. This is near and immediate This is close to us, closer than we might think. So balancing a God who will bring about this future with our partner in engagement is partnership and engagement is hard to hold. 
So if God's going to do all this stuff, then what do we do? Just go sit under our fig tree and rest? This is a hard tension to hold. It's especially hard for us to hold, even today. All of us watched perhaps the news yesterday and today of the attack that's happened in Israel, the absolute violence that's devastating that part of the world. I had a chance yesterday to send an email to my friend Stuart Altshuler, a rabbi I've known for years and years. His son Etan lives in Israel, and I just had to reach out to Stuart and say, Stuart, tell me, tell me what's happening. And he said, well, Etan is okay, but the rest of the family is living in a bomb shelter. And so he kind of described, in, at least in his own ways, the devastation that's going on there. Stuart is in Tampa, Florida, leading a synagogue. But at the same time, he's, his heart is in that place. So when we, we witness the unfolding of news and devastation and the destruction of human life, this text just seems, I don't know, like rainbows and unicorns somewhere. And this is the exact moment as God's people, we're called to find a space. Find a space to live in this sense of peace that God gives us, a confidence about the future, but yet engages us in a very active way in living in the world. Being followers of Jesus does not make make us passive, it makes us very active. But active for what? It's active for the reign and rule of God in our midst. You see, there's a difference between feeling responsible for God's work and being called to do it. Those are two different things. God is responsible for for persuading. God is responsible for redeeming. God is responsible for rest. Even God takes a day off. Friends, we need to learn to do what it says in Micah chapter 4, verse 5. Though all peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we walk in the name of our Lord, our God forever. We walk. Now, the idea of walking in the Bible is an important metaphor. It comes from the story in Genesis where after God had created Adam and Eve, God would come and take walks with them in the garden. And so walking with God meant to be in harmony with God, in step with God, to be moving with God. To not walk with God means that the relationship with God is out of harmony, it's disrupted, it's broken. What Micah chapter 4 verse 5 is inviting us to is to walk with God. Please get it, friends. God is walking. What we're invited to do is to walk with God. Not walk for God, not walk around God, but to walk with God that is bringing this era into being, even though it seems at times it's impossibly hard to imagine. So I have just a few short suggestions that might help us do this this week, four of them, very quickly. First is this. Find time daily to confess God's greatness. That's one. Find time daily to confess God's greatness. It's just like we sang this morning, Great Are You, Lord. That song and songs like it and words like it help us to remember the greatness of God. And when we confess the greatness of God, something happens to us. All of a sudden, we begin to realize we're, quite, we're not quite as great as we thought we were. 
that God is great, that God is able to do all things. The second thing that might help us is this. Lean into grace over judgment. When we read this text in Micah chapter 4, didn't you hear what it said here? And he will judge between many peoples and render the decisions for mighty distant nations. So who does the judging, everybody? Who does the judging, everyone? Good, remember, we're not in management. We're in sales. We're in sales. And so that means we lean into grace over judgment. So any tendency we find ourselves leaning into to try to manage other people, to try to get them to do what we want, the judgments we make about other people based on the way they look, the way they talk, where they came from, who they are, their identity, whatever it is, we lay those aside and instead we lean into grace. Because God is the one who judges. We don't. Number three, practice gratitude daily. Practice gratitude daily. So that might mean thanksgiving to God. That might mean thanksgiving to individuals in your life, maybe your spouse or your children or your parents. It could be to your neighbor next door. It could be to some stranger you just met. But find a way to express gratitude daily. Next week, we're starting a four-week series on gratitude and about how to live this out in our lives every day. So we're going to spend more time on number three. And then the last one. Where might God use you to bring peace? Where might God use you to bring peace? Is there a relationship? Is there a place? Is there a situation where you can be a peacemaker? Because apparently, according to Micah 4, that's the business God is in. And what God is seeking to do through us is to be bringers of peace. How can we do that? Where can we do that? With whom can we do that? Today, I thought it would be good for us to finish our interview series, Between Two Candles. Good. Everybody gets that joke a little bit differently every week. I'm glad you got it this week. Everybody gets it, because they know exactly what we're talking about, right? I love it. Between Two Candles, because we want to talk a little bit about this grace-filled life and how we do that. And so uh, we thought it would be a good idea to invite Hannah Rogers, who is our children's ministry director as of last week. Come on up, Hannah. And uh, I'm going to ask a few questions. We're going to learn a lot about her. This is an in-depth interrogation. We have a spotlight on you so we can learn more. Please have a seat. And so um, we have some questions we want to ask you. So if, if you didn't know, Hannah is our new children's ministry director. She is also still our fostering hope resident. So she's working both in Fostering Hope and in our children's ministry in the life of our church. There's some information about that in the newsletter that came out this week. I hope you had a chance to, to read it. But this is Hannah, real live. Here she is. She is uh, finishing her last year at SPU this year with a degree in developmental psychology and sociology. Did I get that right? Yes. yes. Whew, it's always tough being in an academic setting and then <laughs> goofing up somebody's credentials. Don't want to do that. All right. And so you're in your last year at SPU. You're going on to hopefully graduate school next year. And so as you try to hold being a student, finishing up, getting ready for graduate school, you work here yeah. more than you did before. <laughs> Share with us about how you found balance in your life. Yeah, as a full-time student um, and someone who's worked pretty consistently since I was 16, balance has been something that I've had to be very intentional about. 
Um, I've had to make sure that in my time at work, at school, with my friends and family, because social life is also incredibly important, that I'm focusing on that time and being really present with um, the people that I'm working with. And I found organization <laughs> is key to having balance in my life um, and making sure that I know where I need to be. And I also, Sometimes when I'm feeling unbalanced in my life, I need to be willing to communicate with others and share that I need help or ask questions. And um, that's been the most effective way for me to find balance in this crazy time of life that I'm going through right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig into that answer for a second. So when you tell people that you know, your boundaries are getting a little blurred, you need some time, how do most people react to that? Do they react pretty well? Or are they like, oh no, can I just work harder? <laughs> Surprisingly, people are really understanding most times. There are times where boundaries are challenged, and when that happens, I, I have to stay firm in those boundaries and say, this, mm. is, this is what I'm capable of in this moment, and I'm seeking support from you, and let's work together to figure out a way mm. to move forward with this and find the time to do everything in a day. Good, good. So as part of your work with Fostering Hope, you've been a resident working in that program for uh, quite a few months now. And when you're working with folks in Fostering Hope, you're working with folks at the margins, oftentimes. And they've had different experiences. Sometimes they've encountered graceful people, mm -hmm. and sometimes they've encountered, how shall we say, less than graceful people. Thanks. So I want to ask you, what does offering grace to them mean? Offering grace to them means that when they come through the doors of this church, that they feel supported in every way. And not just in a human-to-human -human way, but in a Christ-like way. They need to feel love and support and kindness and care from us. And gentleness. Gentleness is something that isn't offered from a lot of people in society, especially to people in the foster care system. And I found that when I'm working with people, the families, the youth, that gentleness is key in showing them grace. Mm. So um, I'm going to ask a little more in detail about the opposite question. In your experience in meeting uh, you know, kids leaving the foster care system and families and those individuals, how have, how have they not experienced grace? What does that look like when they don't get grace? And maybe like I was talking about in the sermon, sometimes they get judgment. Right. What's that look like? Right. Well, they've experienced, a lot of them, incredible hardship and trauma. Um, and when they have it, when they're experiencing judgment or um, people who aren't showing them grace, they may feel that more heavily in their heart than mm -hmm. others um, because they've been through so much that it, it's very personal for them when they experience yeah. someone who just will cast them aside in um, whatever they're doing. So let me ask a question about you then. So as you've been doing this work in Fostering Hope and now coming into this work of working in children's ministry, how are you finding yourself growing in generosity to other people? Um, I, as I've grown, I found that generosity isn't, it, just, it doesn't just come in the form of financials or um, physical things. It mm. comes in the form of my time 
and my care and my kindness. And um, those are things I'm able to give every day. Those are things that I'm able to walk up to someone and say, I'm, I'm here to give you my time today. Um, I am a college student, so I may not be able to donate to all these charities and um, donate all these physical things, but I am willing to say, here, here is my time, here is my kindness, and I want you to have it. Mm, excellent. So um, the last question I want to ask you is about our church. So in our church, with, I've been here a year and, I don't know, three months, I don't know, something like that. There's a lot of talk in our church about we need younger people in our church. Yes. Welcome, young person. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Um, but more than that, you know, kind of what I've been hoping for and praying for in the life of our church is that our, that our church's heart begins to long and to break for young people that we would care about reaching not only children and youth, but students and other adults trying to emerge into adulthood right now, which is really tough to do. So what might our church need to hear about the need for younger people to be engaged in a grief-filled community? I think that younger people have a perspective that is incredibly valuable, especially in a faith community. But I also think that the relationship between younger generations and older generations takes hard work. And it takes grace to have intergenerational relationships. And I think it's really important to recognize that younger people are the future of the church. They are, the li- they are also a part of the life of the church. And it, it's really important to involve them in everything you do and to think about them and everything you do in the church because we're a community. And that community doesn't just include, um, you know, older adults or young adults. It also includes the children and the students and everybody, everybody here. That's a good word to hear. So before we conclude our time, we wanted to have time to pray for you. As you start your new ministry as our children's ministry director, and typically we do that in the way that's described in the book of Acts in the Bible, that we gather around people who are going to be sent into mission. In this case, mission is here lay hands on them and pray for them. And so that's what we'd like to do this morning. So we're going to come down here to the floor right here in the front, and any of you in the congregation that want to come join us, we're going to lay hands on Hannah and pray for her and bless her as she starts out her ministry. Don't be shy. Right here is a good spot. Ooh, look at all the people coming. Come on up and let's just lay hands on Hannah and lay hands on a person laying hands. <laughs> Lord, we rejoice and give thanks. Give thanks for this community that cares deeply. Cares deeply for your world. Cares deeply for your people. And God, we're thankful for Hannah who has come forth in this community to hear your call to serve our youngest disciples. We're so thankful, God, for each and every one of the children in the life of this church. We know what an awesome responsibility it is to lead not only those who are serving those children, but those children in and of themselves. We're thankful also for Hannah's work, God, in fostering hope and the way in which she cares and tends for those individuals who are on the margins, who are trying to find their way forward in life. We give you thanks, God, for the gifts that you've given her, and the gifts you give us as a church to share together. 
So we pray right now, O oh God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon Hannah, that she might experience the fullness, God, of your power, strength, and anointing for the work of serving the children and the life of this church. We give you thanks, God, for the gifts that you have given and the gifts that you will continue to reveal. We ask your blessing for her in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.